Hey, hey, Molly Herford here with the Business of Fitness podcast brought to you by Feisty Media. So this week I'm sitting down with my good friend and I'm I'm almost going to call her a mentor because that's what she's kind of been to me over the years. Huge inspiration. Celine Yeager, you might know her from the Feisty Menopause podcast. You might know her from her new book, Next Level, or you might know her from Roar, although she's been writing books since as we uh, get into it in this episode, 1994. So talk about someone who's been in this industry for a long time and just has so much knowledge to share. And what I really loved about this conversation, we're talking all about book writing, book publishing, where the industry is now, sort of some help for new wannabe authors and things to think about if you happen to want to write a book or you've been thinking about writing a book for a long time. Uh, just some of the ins and outs of the book publishing process. And of course, uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I've written eight books. About half of them have been traditionally published. Half have been self-published. So we get into all of the differences between traditional publishing, self-publishing, and sort of where both of those trajectories have gone in the past few years and which we would do if we were starting all over in our careers. So hopefully this episode helps you out if you've ever been thinking about how the heck to write a book. And with that, let's get into this episode with Celine Yeager. Enjoy. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. 
I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Okay, Celine, welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm so excited you're here because I know I've said this to you a billion times, but I feel like when it comes to uh, women I've really admired in the endurance sport world and women whose careers I've like wanted to emulate, frankly, uh, you're you're the person who comes to mind every time. So I'm so excited to talk all things <laughs> books and career related with you. Well, I appreciate that. You have a hundred percent um carved a wonderful niche for yourself and and uh so kudos to you too. We we love the the weird niches actually now that I think about it. You and I both have that. Uh, we have that in common, yeah. that's for sure. Um so I, I really want to start every episode of this podcast with a bit of that question of expectation versus reality. Um, mm-hmm. because I think so many people who want to get into the fitness industry, the endurance sport industry, and kind of in whatever area they want to get into it. You know, if you're picturing being a yoga trainer or, you know, a personal trainer, or, or in this case, what we're talking about writing books, uh, I think there's this, this glimmering expectation of what it all is going to look like. uh, And then there's the actual reality. So expectation versus reality. When you got your first book deal, what did you sort of envision life looking like versus, uh, how it actually panned out. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that what I would, that's such an interesting question because of how long I've been in this business. So I think what I would do is parallel two different meaningful books, you know, one being the very first book that was mine, because if you'll recall, I got hired by a publishing company that had a book division arm. So I was writing books you know, and, you know, eventually when I wrote the bulk of one, which might have been healing with vitamins in 1994. Um, yeah, like that, that my name was on that cover. It was more of a collab. I mean, there was a team of us writing it, but that's how the, that's how Rodale published books at the time. Right. They had a team of writers, uh, you know, and then from that came like the book with my face and name and everything on it, which was perfectly fit. It was a fitness book. Right. And you know, my expectation of that was, you know, I, I was, I actually didn't want to be one of the fitness personalities of the time. You know, there was a lot of, and I'm, I'm struggling to even remember, I can picture them all. They were all blonde and I'm struggling to remember their names. Kathy Smith was one. Uh, Denise Austin was another, you know, there's oh a lot. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, some yeah. of them are still around, some of them are still around, but like, I, I didn't really want to do that. Like, it's funny that book, 
was my first push into help, trying to get women to be strong in a backdoor kind of way, you know, because everything was still aesthetically driven. And I was just like, we need women to be strong. And it was about strength training. And that was my way of sort of like bashing myself into the space. And, you know, I, I don't actually, it's funny, I don't really know if it worked or not. It was a, it was a first step for me. But my expectation of what it would do pretty much happened because I was part of a machine that promoted books, right? So the book did very well because it went into this machine that supported every book that came out and that, that doesn't exist anymore, you know, yeah. like at all, like at all, at all. I mean, Rodale is not even a thing in and of itself anymore. They sold to Hearst and the book division is very different. So the, you know, I'd like to parallel that when you talk about like what the expectation is, because I think it's more relevant for people listening is, you know, when I did Roar with Dr. Stacey Sims, I knew that was that that I was sitting on something very large. Right. I knew that she was very special, that her work was important, that people needed to hear this and that it had the potential to have to be a sea changer, you know, to really turn the tides. And we did the book and it went out and it did kind of well. And then it faded off into the sea, you know? And I was like, fuck, you know, I mean, like literally that is, I, I you can take me out, but that is, there's no other way to put it because Stacy at the time had 200 Instagram followers. You know, she's a scientist. She's a scientist. And the publishing was just starting to get into that space that unless you had your own platform to promote, you know, like nobody, they weren't doing a whole lot to back you. It seems so crazy that a company that will pay you and do all this support and pay all these people to edit, copy edit, photo edit, produce, layout all the things, then let it go into the ether and not really support it because the worst books in the world can be bestsellers with great promotion and mm -hmm. vice versa. So it wasn't until Stacy, you know, found Feisty, you know, which is the, you know, us uh, that we were talking through right now, this platform and, and found people who could do that work for her to build a platform that that book became what it really, which I knew it could be. And now it's beyond my wildest, wildest expectations. I mean, now I sit back and I'm like, that's what I thought could happen. And it's even bigger than what I thought could happen. And that paved the way, of course, for Next Level to come through, which was the next book. And it, it, but but that that's your expectation versus reality. I mean, my first one, I'm like, ah, you know, but I had this big machine and it sold, I don't know, 90,000 copies, which is ridiculous. And yeah. Um, versus a book that really should have sold that out of the gate. And just because it, it didn't have the support and we weren't able to support it. I was on my next project and she was doing science. Right. You know, and that's just the way it was. It's uh, so it's hard. I mean, you know, getting, we can talk about that at any point, but, but book publishing is uh, it's all about you being the machine. Now there is no machine to support you. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I found with, I mean, really all of my books, Shred Girls kind of in particular. And it's one of those things, I guess the, the expectation at this point, like my expectation was like, oh, I'm going to write a book. And that's what I do is I write books. The reality, if you want to be a successful author at this point is sure you write a book. That's like 2% of the job. <laughs> the rest of it is being 
your own marketing machine at this point, which is a little nauseating to a lot of us. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, the honest. irony of that for anybody, I mean, you know, you know, writing a book is such a big nebulous thing, right? It's you have people who are like off fiction writers and, you know, but if you're writing any kind of, um, any kind of book that you are not like some sort of Tony Robbins character, like most writers are inherently pretty introverted and have set up their lives to not be around, you know, to not be around people. And then all of a sudden you're just like, and now you have to like be like, this is the best thing and you should buy, it, which is not inherently my personality, you know? So it's, it's, it's very challenging for people who are true, like writer personalities. Yeah, absolutely. And okay, now I have to ask, do you know what number of books you're on at this point? I just, I have contributed to, I'm closing in on three dozen. Now, how many I have actually bylined? Uh, I'm going to go with six. You know, I'm just looking, I'm looking up, I have two dozen <laughs> that I've like, I have a whole like bunch of them up there. I have can, I have contributed to many, many, many books, you know, by, and by that, I mean, written a chapter or two. Um, I have written books for a lot of people, you know, the Rebecca Rush book and how certainly the Stacy books. And I've, I've co-authored with a lot of, you know, because I used to be a medical writer. So a lot of doctors and a lot of that kind of stuff, just making, cause there's a, there's an art and a science to making a book that you don't know if you are, you know, like a Dr. Stacey Sims or like a lot of people I work with. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's an interesting point. You have written with a couple of just these amazing, really strong women. You just mentioned Rebecca, Stacey Sims, obviously. Uh, I mean, how is that collaborative process? Just how has that worked for you? I feel like you've been really lucky with the women you've worked with, but that is a big undertaking and it's a lot of personality too, which is yeah, no, I mean, you you make you make your luck in that respect for well, I mean, you do and you don't. Like, I I, I was lucky in that I crossed paths with them, but I also like I was you know I had built my life in a way that I would cross paths with them. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I mean, I ended up racing with Rebecca both for and again like on teams with her as two person teams. And Stacy, I just met getting CECs at a coaching summit. You know, like, and she was presenting. And I was like, she needs a book and I can do it. And literally that I've told that story a million times, but that's a hundred percent how it went. I went up to her and I said, you need a book and I can help you. And she said, cool. And that was, we were off. So, I mean, with both of them, I mean, I've got a, you know, as people know, a pretty strong personality too. It, the, the key with working with people on a collaborative project, like a book is you've got to want to spend time in them with, you know, in their head and with them. So, I, you know, there have been people who have approached me and I'm, I've just been like, mm, I have to spend a lot of time with you and I have to become your voice and I have to sort of become you. And if I don't, if I don't feel like we have that relationship, I, I honestly can't do it. Like, it's just I'm not doing anybody a service. So with Rebecca, I mean, we used to get like, people are like, were you, I guess sisters. Cause we just like, we're thought, you know, we, we raced the same way and we, but we're both muscly and whatever wore pigtails, but you know, I mean, I just went out to her house for a week and and tape recorded her and talked to her. And she was kind of prolific herself with some of her writing so I could get her voice. Her mom had done this phenomenal job of capturing all of her adventure racing years she had on tape. Like, so that was gold. Like I had a box filled with gold. Like I would not because that was all pre-internet, right? So I wouldn't have been able to do that with without all those tapes and transcripts that her mom had just done because she thought you know was so proud of her daughter you know and with and with Stacy it's kind of the same thing I just went out and stayed with her and 
recorded her and and she is also prolific so it's pretty easy to to take her work and and a lot of the work i do with her is is really synthesizing stuff so i get get this giant body of science and all of her thoughts on it and then i have to go like what what is what message do we are we trying to put out into the world what message does the world need from us and what is the greatest um what's the best format and the best arc and you know all the you know and all the best organization to present that to people and that you know that's um that's an art in and of itself it's it's you don't always get it right the first the first go around yeah and anyone that thinks that that like collaboration or ghostwriting or whatever you want to call it like in different situations is like an easy thing it is absolutely not i think it's actually way harder uh than, than writing your own in a in a lot of ways um, I know even I like I've been talking about doing some ghostwriting stuff and I was talking to an agent and they kept kind of sending me people who were thinking about, you know, getting a ghostwriter and I would read the bios and I have yet to say yes to any of them because I'm like, I don't think I could do this person's voice. Like, I don't want yeah. to do this person's voice. Yeah, uh, yeah. There is a a male track racer that will go unnamed that I was supposed to do a book for his memoir and I'm like nope (laughs) (laughs) nope and boy am I glad I said nope but anyway that's boy yeah (laughs) yep scandals on the podcast anyway goodness I love it uh yeah I I'll add my own I had a one person approach where it was like the the like middle-aged perfectly healthy guy had run a marathon and was like so chuffed about it and wanted to do a book on how like running the marathon really relates to business and i i just i was like i'm sorry i cannot write this because i just don't think it's a big deal you are a right. white middle-aged guy who ran 26 miles like that is not an impressive <laughs> i i know it's transformational but like that's not a new story <laughs> exactly. yeah exactly yeah. oh my gosh um Anyway, okay. Yeah. So let's get let's get practical here. Okay. When you are writing a book, so whether yes. it's whether it is you have the the gravel one that came out pretty recently, mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm. your new one with Stacy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What does what does your process look like when you're in the writing phase? We'll say, like, what's the day look like? It looks like every day of my life, because <laughs> you know, I because I am a writer. But it's you know it, it is a. I can't answer that without just pretty much saying like what the process of the book is, right? Because mm-hmm. the process of the book is, you know, the I start with a table of contents. You know, I start with like, this is what I think the structure and what we're going to cover is. And then I spend a lot of time um, filling the buckets, you know? So like chapter one, I do a whole bunch of research and I just... I just keep filling all the buckets and sometimes then I'm like, there's not enough for this bucket. Can I blend it into another one? You know, so the, the TOC takes a while to form while I'm doing research and stuffing stuff in there. And then once I'm at the place where I feel like I have all the material, or at least I know where I'm going to get all the material for all of the chapters within, then I can start the writing, the actual writing process of the book. And I'm, I am pretty methodical about that. I will look at my deadline and I will literally work backwards. So if if I have a book due in 24 weeks, I take, you know, whatever it is, 120, you know, say it's 80,000 words divided by whatever. And I'm like, 
it, it sounds kind of like mill work at that point, but it it keeps me, I don't blow deadlines and that keeps me very on top of it. I'm like, I have to get out 5,000 words this week. You know, like that's, yep. that's what I need to do. And that it's, because uh, otherwise, like you can end up in a world of a hole that you can't get yourself oh, out of. Oh, yeah. Yep. I remember the first book I wrote looking up online, how many words is in a nonfiction book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to do that exact math. Yeah. And it was like, it was terrifying. But then isn't it kind of amazing how quick like 65,000 words goes? Yeah. But yeah, at this point, it's funny because I think at that way, being at Rodale did help because they actually hired their writers and scaled you by you know, whether you are a junior or a senior based on your word content per week, you know, so it gave, I had a real sense of like how long it takes to do 3000 words, you know, that is researched and all that. And I have a real sense of what like what a chapter looks like. So, you know, OK, the intro is going to be about 300 words, right? Like, and I just have a like at this point of a very good sense of that and how long that's going to take. Now, of course, there's some days I'm going to be like, I'm going to knock out 300 words, you know, this morning and three days later, I'm still working on the 300 words. But then the next day, a thousand will come out. And that's just I am now comfortable with that process. I don't always love it, but that's just the creative process. I trust the process. I trust that even on those days where I'm just staring there going, then my brain is filling in all the holes and working on it. So when I, when it's ready to come out, it will actually come out. Mm -hmm. So that's what the, that is what the day looks like. And I'm also very, I get up, I do email, I plan my day, I, including when I'm going to do whatever workouts I'm going to do. And I kind of on Monday, I plan my whole week, you know, so I have like a week of what I'm going to do. And then each day I plan that out. And I'm really pretty good about sticking to it. If the muse isn't around one day, I can shuffle things. But, um, you know, that's that's what the day looks like every day. I, I'm creative in the morning, mostly. I do some exercise thing in the afternoon, and then I come back and I do organizational things. And then a little cre creativity will hit often a little later. Um, and that's kind of how the days always go. Yeah. Sounds like we have sort of similar schedules. I notice I always have that like trough in the afternoon, which is actually like why I try to schedule talks like this, because at least it kind of jogs my Oh, yeah, no, this is perfect. This is a perfect time to talk. <laughs> yeah, three o'clock. I'm like, yes, three o'clock is a great time to talk. Yeah, because I'm useless for getting any articles or writing yeah. done at this point in the day, but I'm great for chatting. So it's definitely that like knowing yourself, which takes, you know, a while to to figure out. And especially like if you're trying to write a book while you're also doing sort of a more traditional job, which yeah. I think we didn't mention, like, it's not like you've been just an author since 1994. Like, you have been, you know, doing all of these other articles and writing and, you know, your regular and events, computer, like and events, racing yeah. around the world. Yeah, that was, yeah, like, and have, I have a daughter too. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you somehow like race more than most people. You're still writing like, I would say, you know, until like fairly full time, like you put out enough content that it's certainly a full time oh, yeah, writing no, it's career full -time. outside of books. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And you know, you have the podcast on Feisty, you know, you're, that, which takes up plenty of time, you know, talking to all these experts, it's not like researching these books is just like a simple proposition. There's tons of work that goes into them. And then that's not even mentioning the thing we're going to get to, which is the, the whole marketing side of it. Um, right. So how the heck do you organize it all? And like, how did you ever like find those times to carve out for the book writing when it wasn't, it's not the thing 
or the only This is going to sound like a crazy, <laughs> crazy thing, but like I am, I've, I'm self-employed, right? So, but when I first started writing at Rodale, I was employed for about three and a half years as an employee. And during that time, I would take on freelance work because I was building my freelance business. So I learned how to maximize a couple hours in the evening, right, to do stuff. And when things get crazy, I pretend that I am doing freelance work <laughs> in the evening, even though I am. It's just like a compartmentalism trick I'm doing in my head. I recognize that. But that's the only way I can figure it out. Like if I'm working on a feature for somebody and I still have like I have to stay on top of the book, then somehow I mean, yeah. And that means writing in the evening. It means doing some weekend work, which I don't love, but I also like, I love my life. I love that I can ride my bike every single day. Like, and it's not lost on me that most people in jobs can't, you know, that in office jobs. So if, if my sacrifice is I have to work on two hours on a Saturday morning, so be it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. That's a conversation we were actually just having uh, just a week ago with my aunt and uncle, because we were technically on vacation, but you know, obviously I'm still just on the computer because deadlines are deadlines and when yep. you're freelance if you don't turn stuff in you don't get paid <laughs> yep so it's uh it's not like you ever really get a vacation at this point yeah um, it's very very rare other there's a couple that once in a while I'll be like okay like like before I went to Montana, I just did a vacation in Montana and I literally I was so miserable the work week before because I was working around the clock to get work done for this week and well, that's it right <laughs> but the but the Montana Celine was so pleased with the previous Celine because I literally, I was not thinking about work at all. I'm like, it's done. Yeah. You know, it's done. When I come back, I don't have to like hit the ground running. This podcast is done. The blogs around it are done. Everything is done. I can just ease back into it and be a normal like human being. Yeah. 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 That's kind of part of it, though, is this whole you're you're always going to be working on things for future you. If you want to yeah. write like if you want to write a book and you're working another job or you yep. know, even just like you want to write a book, like you kind of always need to be thinking about like me next week is going to be so happy that I wrote 500 words of like even if they were garbage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like next week, me is going to be so glad that I, I got that done, um, you know, or like outlined the article, even if yeah. I didn't write the whole thing, I spent 10 minutes outlining it. And now I'm like that much further ahead. So there's always that like, what is next week me going to need? <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And okay, I didn't ask you before, what app do you use to organize your uh, sort of table of contents manuscript? Are you still in Microsoft Word? Are you in Docs? Are you Evernote? What's what's your go to? <gasps> oh my gosh yeah i mean i do i do a lot i just held up a notebook um i do i i am not an app person for any of that kind of stuff period i uh i still do work in word or google docs mostly word just because that's what i started in and i have so much already legacy there i just it's yep. just easier um but i am a I have this screen and then I have this auxiliary screen that you are sitting on. And then I have like a bunch of papers over here and I am definitely a pen to pen to paper person for my organizational stuff. And then I put it out like it's, it's almost like drawing a picture sometimes for me as opposed to like doing it on a screen. But I, 
if I have to use another app, it's just I'm going to lose it and it's never going to it will never. I, I, I just don't think that way. No, I mean, I've had similar experiences. I'm I'm a bit more app based, I would say, but I've definitely like done the thing where I read about what other writers are using, where it's like, ah, oh, use Scrivener or like any number of other like right. text editing apps. And I'm like, ah, I should use that because I too want to be an author. And yeah. then I like spend a day setting it up and just get really angry about it and end up <laughs> just deleting it anyway. So And then you uh, meet I do the same thing. And then you meet a lot of authors that are the same way. They're like, they have this, they have a scribbled yeah. notebook with like things and like a napkin shoved in there like that is the real thing and that once in a while because things do come to me when i ride a lot or in the shower i use notes on the phone and i just like I, i've literally stepped out of the shower and just like blah, 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 you know put the phone back down and yep. rinse my hair and yeah yep. Ooh, actually may i recommend aqua notes it's literally a <laughs> notepad that suction cups into your shower oh and that's it has a pretty shower cool. pencil i have it because i have the same thing like yeah, showers stuff are in the shower is pretty come. crazy how often <laughs> the shower it's a i will shower at four o'clock in the afternoon sometimes just because i'm like just i to, need some ideas <laughs> just yep like, yep i was using uh children's like bathtub crayons that you could like write on the walls with but then my wall like my shower started looking like a creepy like murder <laughs> scene kind of vibe so it's like okay i've got to figure yeah. out a shower waterproof notebook so that's that's what i've been doing highly recommend <laughs> okay now, the actually, what I was going to also ask you about the table of contents, a lot of people kind of would use that more in like a traditional book proposal type thing. Are you still doing book proposals either for yourself or for publishers? Like, where uh, do you think they fit in? I, they are still really important. Um, I, you know, for obviously for Next Level, Roar had a history, Stacey has a history. We didn't really need to do much of a proposal. I did a, a um, I did a a, a pretty beefy TOC, pretty beefy table of contents. And that was enough. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I, I worked on a book with my brother, who is a FBI scientist and a proposal was super duper important. And that's all the things. And a proposal, I mean, you have to look at a proposal as your loss leader, money in the bank, whatever cliches you'd like to throw in there, because the better your proposal, the more likely the thing is going to see the light of day, you know, and, and the proposal also helps answer a lot of questions that a lot of authors or people who want to write a book don't think about, like, who is actually who am I talking to? Mm -hmm. Why am I writing this book? What is the purpose? Who do I think is going to buy it? Those are really, really important things to sort out. You know, mm -hmm. like, what is this book actually about and what am I trying to say and who is going to buy it? You you need to figure those three things out or it's not going to be successful, yeah. you know, period. And, yeah. and, and doing that and also the competitive analysis. I mean, there's a whole you can go online and find like skeletons of book proposals, but they are they're a pain in the ass in many ways, but they're really important to do. Yeah, and I'd say they're they're worth doing even if even if you wanted to go the self-publishing route at this point, I think I would still actually do a book proposal only because it forces you to kind of basically start thinking through your own marketing plan and yeah. how you're how you're gonna get the book out and yeah, where you wanna focus, what you want the tone to be, and like you say, who you're speaking to. So I think even if you don't plan to traditionally publish, it's well worth the time to to do that. And I mean really it really is. It's a lot of the preliminary preliminary research you're going to need to do anyway. So yeah. why not? Yeah. Why not formalize it a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So 
the traditional proposal brings us to traditional publishing, which you and I have had many conversations about offline. Yeah. Uh, it is not an easy space out there. And, you know, we, we've both kind of bemoaned this. And like we were talking about the, the whole marketing thing is a whole other animal. Um, and, you know, when you kind of start thinking through this, if you have to be your own marketing machine, but your goal is to make your advance break even and then maybe start making a few cents per book. Uh, it's it's hard to necessarily say that traditional publishing is still worth it unless you have this like automatic boom, it's going to sell however many copies. Um, that said, it's the allure of traditional publishing still exists, right? Like self-publishing is less of a dirty word than it was five years ago, but I think there is still something a little less. There's still uh, a snobbery about it. There's a little 100%. less sexy, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... For if you were a new author, had never had any books out, what do you think you would be doing right now? Like if you wanted to write a book, <laughs> yeah. The first question yeah. would be like, would you write a book? But right, well, yeah, that's but, but it's a really good question because like what I think you have to figure out like why a book. I mean, especially in this in this climate, like why a book? You know, there's when there are so many other things that uh, platforms places that you can put out whatever message that you're feeling is so important why a book mm -hmm. you know and, and there's you know so, sometimes that answer is evident like your shred girl series that has to be a book i mean you i guess it doesn't have to be but it, but it lends itself that make it makes sense as a book but even you know when i was working on next level with stacy it's like some of this is going to be like you know cuz science changes very quickly and it's you know, she already has this platform, but the book itself in in this case, that book is a platform and a vehicle of her philosophy and message for this audience. Right. So that's how I was getting it. And, and they then they come to her and can con continue that journey and continue learning more. You know, it's, so it's that's the purpose that that book serves and i kind of felt that way you know with gravel it's it's your guidebook like everybody has all these basic questions here are your basic answers you know and, and it's just like somewhere that you can get your a little purchase and get some traction pun intended you know in this sport that can be kind of confusing if you're just stepping into it so to answer the question of what i would do it's it's really molly super hard for me to say that because i mean i, I don't i can't put myself in a place where i haven't written for both bicycling magazine since right. 1996 you know what i mean like i would go to bicycling and be like hey you want to i mean that's what i would do if i didn't have any of those connections i guess i would look if i felt very strongly that i needed a book in the world and i didn't have those connections and i didn't know agents like i have all these connections now i would just go to them i would investigate the self-publishing route but i confess to knowing nothing and i mean nothing about it i've never done it i've never investigated it you have done it very successfully so i mean i i can turn these tables and speak to you like you know you just made you decided to go that route right like what did you just google how do i self-publish a book pretty much and i will say i was super lucky well <laughs> this is like lucky in quotation marks i was lucky that i had started out working for a very tiny magazine where everyone wore every hat so i actually had to learn how to use like Adobe InDesign and Adobe uh, Photoshop to edit the magazine. Mm -hmm. And I was running the actual like back end of the website as well, plus right. writing and all the things. So I actually kind of had like a leg up when self publishing kind of was first 
gosh, my first self-published book would have been eight years ago now. So the world was, was a it lot the saddle source? Yeah. Saddle source. Yeah. 2014. Yeah. So that was my first self-published book. And it was a lot harder back then. You had to have like InDesign is pretty much the only way to do it. Nowadays, you can actually download like a template for Microsoft Word. And now it like it just uploads yeah. and boom, you're you're actually like pretty easy. And Canva uh, gives you this great free way to like boom. But then make, how do you get it into cover. the world? Like I understand how to physically make that thing. Like you guys were talking about podcasting with Sarah on the, yeah. the show. Like, so I understand how to fit, how you would, I understand how I would physically make a book. What I have no idea is like, how do I get it on Amazon? Yeah. Well, luckily Amazon actually has like their own self-publishing arm. It's the KDP, oh, I think it's still okay. called. So it actually like will do that. Or um, what I've actually done in the past couple of years is now I use Ingram Spark, who will do the book. You can get physical copies. It actually goes on their book list because they're actually like a normal bookseller as well. Mm -hmm. So that way bookstores can actually order your book. They also feed it into Amazon. They feed it into Barnes and Noble uh, and a few other places and, and indiebookshop.com, I think is the, the place. So that way like small or small bookshops can buy it. Uh, so it's actually like way easier than you would think to self-publish a book uh, and actually get it onto Amazon and stuff these days. The Harder thing, though, is like once it's on there, what the hell do you do um, now? Frankly, like we were kind of saying before, though, even if your book's traditionally published at this point, it's now on Amazon or in Barnes and Noble. What the hell do you do? Because uh, they're not marketing it. So it's no, pretty no. much on you. Um, so that that is kind of where that first thing we started talking about, the having a platform comes in handy. Or at least having friends with platforms, having yeah. somebody with a platform. Exactly. You need somebody with a platform to help you out or to be able to get on a platform. You know, I mean, podcasts are a big platform right now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you have a friend with a YouTube channel, but like you really do need to uh, word of mouth is still is still a big thing. Word of mouth still matters an awful lot, awful lot. And I would say that's the only, like, that's how Shred Girls gets around. Like, it's really not so much the online platform with that. That's pretty much like parents telling each other at races mm -hmm. and stuff about it. Um, and that's that's how most people I've talked to have found it. So that one is, yeah, much more word of mouth, which I think people don't necessarily, like, take into account anymore. And that that involves a lot of, like, you know, I've probably spent more money on Shred Girls than I've made, if I'm being right. totally honest. because. Right. It's a passion project and I, I totally. love it, but I have spent so much time going to different, you know, NICA events and, you know, kids bike races and stuff and talking about it and doing, you know, online talks for like different kids groups and stuff like that, just to yeah. kind of spread the word on it because I care that much about it. So I think maybe like one of the things we were just talking about is does everyone need to, to have a book? I think the big question is like, if you're looking for just like a way to make a buck, a book is not the no, way to no, do no, it no, at no. this point. <laughs> no, I mean, no, 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 no. It's not even books that do, even books that do well. And I'm and I'm talking well. I'm not talking about Michelle Obama's Becoming, right? I'm yeah. talking about a book that sells well. And a book that sells well, you know, say it sells 30,000 copies. You know, what, like that's considered successful, that's, you know, 50,000, yeah. like anything in those numbers sells 100,000. It's very successful. But you're still not going to like you're not living on that. <laughs> you're not you're not you're going to see some nice royalty checks, you know, that are nice a bonus, but you're not 
I, that's why I was saying it really is the book is is a platform. A book is a book is a creation that can it's like another tool to help promote yourself and to promote your ideas and whatever. But it is certainly not an an end to itself. You know, it's not the thing that is going to make you money. Exactly. Yeah. So I think as if you're, you know, trying to kind of think about like, I want to write a book, I should write a book, it would be like a thing for my industry. I think it, it's not a bad idea at this point. Right. But knowing that like, a, you're probably not gonna getting traditionally published is gonna be really hard, you're probably gonna end up selling. And the advances are your... very small. Yes, there is that at this point, they used to be pretty healthy. And like, they're very small, unless you've been so unless you have a track record. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's why to me, like, I think most people would probably be fine just self-publishing if the goal is just to, yeah, put your ideas out there. And yeah. the nice thing with self-publishing is it's a lot easier to get a bunch of copies of your books and actually be like putting them, getting right. them out to people and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, it's a lot simpler when you're paying two bucks a copy instead of that sweet, sweet 50% off deal that a lot of publishers will give you for your, <laughs> your books. Right. I often just buy them on Amazon. I'm like, forget it. I know, right? <laughs> like, well, it's 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 52% off on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> buy them on Prime Day. Get a yeah, box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, PSA, uh, books are not going to get you rich. But I do think, I would say for me, and I'm sure you feel pretty similar, the, the opportunities that have come from having books. Yeah. I no, think that's, that's, that's the big thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the people you meet, the places you go, the jobs that have become available, like big gigs that are available. I think there's still a bit of like social cash to saying like, yeah, I have a couple of books out. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, no, 100%. I would never say it's not it's not worth it if it but it is, you know, I do think it's worth considering all the things that we talked about, you know, because it's because it is a large project you know and it's it's not a small endeavor so you have to really know your why and you really you know and know your who and all that stuff but if if you can answer those things it is yeah it's 100 percent worth it yeah endurance sports should be accessible to everyone right that's why we are so excited to be partnering with motive Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. 
So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. 
Pettis has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Okay, so usually you're going to end up having a few projects in the pipeline, right? Like you're writing the new book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're writing the new book as the other new book is launching and you're trying to do the marketing for that. And you're also, as we talked about, you know, you're podcasting, you're still writing articles, you're still traveling to stuff and racing and everything. How do you, how do you stay organized with that stuff? I mean, do you have a paper planner as well that you're going to hold? Oh, I do. No, I do. I do. I still like, I, that is the only way I can stay organized with that stuff. Cause there's definitely, and that's not to say you know, the books go through the I'd like to open a vein and jump out the window stage where oh. I can't I can't take another moment of be living with the project. And then it comes back from copy editing with 12,000 niggling questions. Oh, and I just want to like so upsetting when you open the word doc and it oh. literally is 12,000. L- literally. And, and you're just like, right. You're just like, I can't even look at this. I don't even know what you're I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, that's and. And yet still some typo, some brave little typo will make its way through. And, you know, I you got to applaud the brave little typo that has made its way through 12,000 reads yep. from all these different eyeballs all the way to print. Yep, I've, yep. You know, that's a... That is a Darwinian little typo. Yeah, yeah. There. It deserves yeah. to be there. It, yeah. it made it. <laughs> yeah. But to answer your question, yes. I mean, I do. I have... That is all part of that, like I talked about with the writing things down is just like keeping track of things. And to be very, very honest, like I, it does, I like having a number of things going because it helps me use different parts of my brain, you know, so I will be writing something, you know, writing takes a different part of my brain than that copy editing thing, which takes a bit different part of my brain than the research phase, which I actually kind of pretty fun. Right. You know, so like. I actually sort of structure my time to take advantage of that, you know, so sometimes it'll be like, okay, I'm going to roll into this Monday and I have all these little things to do and I'll just spend the day researching and organizing. And then Tuesday, I'm just going to block the whole day off and I'm going to write, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So I just sort of follow the rhythms of my energy based on the, what the, what the tasks of the week demand in each of those um, projects. Mm-hmm. It always sounds at first, I always hear like manage your energy and kind of like it immediately makes me like clench up a little bit because I'm like, be productive at all times. But then I, I've come to realize that the managing my energy and like doing you the are thing being that productive. makes sense is the way to be productive. Yeah, yeah, no, that is, that is that is productive. I mean, that is all productive, like taking a day just to like make milk and and scan research and do stuff and let your brain sort of do all the machinations. That's enormously productive because that is what allows that next day for all the words to come out. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's definitely taken me a long time to learn. Cause I, I have definitely struggled with like, if I'm not yeah, doing the whole thing right now, or if this isn't like a check offable, like definitely well, make a check up. It's true. No, no, yeah. no, no. Write all the things down, you know, write 
research, right? Think, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> like, I know. Make I it all a checklist stuff. and then check it off. I'm like, oh, I thought for an hour today. Check. <laughs> I, I, need, I need the think on there. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. And we've, we've talked about freelancing a few times and I think we've kind of covered like, if you want to write a book sort of when when you're sort of ready to or when it makes sense to but what about tips for getting into freelancing would you have any for for people trying to do it now because it is such a different landscape than i mean even when i started 10 years ago yeah. like, i don't know that i would be useful i mean I, I i just i just don't because it is such a different i mean i will say one of the things that i think is useful still and always an evergreen is if you have a niche you know, like if you have a niche, it really, really helps. Like the people I know who are good at freelancing often have, um, you know, they, they either are like cookbook sort of people or, you know, they, ha they have a very specific topic that they engage in in a unique way. And that helps you get jobs. But just to be a f freelance writer is way harder. I mean, that, that nebulous thing, I think, is way harder. Yeah. And I think this comes back to something Sarah had said last week on this episode or on this podcast, which was like, you definitely want to start with a niche. And eventually, you can probably broaden out, you know, you, right. you started in fitness. And obviously, like you have since broadened out, I started, you know, I started in cycling, I still write about largely women's cycling, but I write about plenty of other stuff, too. But it took a lot of years of like that one niche thing before it made sense to to really like broaden that out yeah um yeah i think i think that that totally totally makes sense yeah um, and i don't know like where you like i i you know i'm on linkedin does anyone actually get jobs through linkedin you know i, I these are things i wonder all the time i'm like does this actually help people get work i, I, I don't it looks like people just showing off what they're doing Pretty much, yeah. I, you know, I keep hearing about LinkedIn is like it's it's having this like resurgence, but I have yet to really notice that. It still uh, seems like it's a bunch of people being like, "Look at me," which is fine. I mean, it's totally. You know, yeah, but I we're, we're back to the like, marketing thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and then how? Like, last thing I want to touch on here is just quickly. Obviously, you're doing all of this. There's still this, I'd say, pressure, and I'm going to say especially for women in our industry, to still be performing as far as our, our sport goes. Mm. Um, and, you know, you've been racing at a high level for quite a while. You're still continuing to race. How the hell do you manage to blend all of these things together and still prioritize the the training and the racing? Because it it is kind of a priority to almost stay, I, I feel like, relevant, and maybe maybe I'm yeah no projecting it's, it's, that but no that's a that's that's a that's a very good question and it's something that i have actively worked over in my head for many years quite honestly because you know i came into racing at sort of that elite level kind of later you know i was 39 so i did it from 39 to you know my later 40s and then at some point, you know, I really just wanted to take all that energy and put it into like something else. I just felt that really I wanted to evolve from worrying about podiums, you know, that like that that was that was in my mind for quite a while. And that is a matter of managing other people's expectations, because other people think that you're, you know, oh, you're going to come here and crush it. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, like, I, like, that's just not where I'm at right now. And, you know, but like a lot of it is self-imposed. So I, I do this podcast, which is hip play, not pause. So I feel like I do feel an obligation to 
uh, practice what I preach, you know, and, and at least try out the things that I'm telling people that I believe work and to put myself out there, you know, like I went to Montana and I did the last best ride this just this past weekend and that I have been doing a lot of events of, you know, sometimes I don't, you know, I, I've hit the point where I'm not placing in the overall podium, no matter what, like that's just not going to happen. And that's great. I'm 53. It's just not going to happen, but I can still place in an age group podium, but eh, you know, I, I don't necessarily, that's not a goal still, but I want to be there uh, learning, enjoying myself and feeling good. Right. Mm-hmm. Like those things are very important to me. So so, so like when I went into, I did Big Sugar last year and that I considered like a perfect race at this point in time for me. So I went, I didn't have any super pressure on myself. I just wanted to like experience it, be fit for it, ride well, not hurt myself, you know, all the things. And just also take in the day because I felt like I spent all those years racing in Israel and Africa and all these beautiful places and just racing through them because that's yep. what you had to do. And I really wanted to be able to enjoy my time there as well, you know, when I'm in those places, not on the bike. So, you know, when I was in Bentonville, I was there with my daughter. I did fun. That's where Big Sugar was. I did fun things. I raced. I lined up. I was no pressure on myself. I'm like, I just want to have a good day. And I felt great. I stopped. I had a hot dog and a beer. I hugged the pig. I got a picture. I did all the thing. And I came in and I just, they were calling the third place podium, which was me. For the for the 50 plus, literally, as I cross the line, I'm like, this is the perfect day. Like, this is actually the perfect day. Not because, waiting around for podium. Amazing. Right. Well, yeah. And I didn't need to win. And I didn't, you know, and I was like, that that is so great. You know, but so I came into Montana, like hoping sort of maybe to do the same. But I like literally like we did the ride to the sun like two days before. I did not take any time off my feet. I didn't taper. I didn't do any of the things that I write about. And I went into like I definitely paid for it and it was really hot and I didn't do all the things I know to do when it's really hot and I paid for that but I was just like okay this is I am still going to get an experience out of this I'm not quitting you know I'm just moving slower than I want to and that's okay like I I no one cares (laughs) it's fine right I'm gonna get to the end I'm still gonna be able to you know like another me might have been like oh people are gonna be like oh she's she doesn't know what she's talking about. And, you know, like, look, she would have been so much faster. But I, I like, it just doesn't work that way. Nobody cares. You know, <laughs> like, I just don't have to prove that every single time. And I, I learned lessons and I can speak like this too. Like, yeah, I, I didn't do all those things that I should have done and I suffered for it. But it's not a good time at the end of it, you know, like, and it's, it's all good. And you know what? I think that actually goes into to proving your point. I actually find when we do episodes of our consummate athlete podcast, where we're talking about fitness and training and stuff, the ones that do the best are when we're talking about like the stuff we messed up because there's always stuff you mess up. It's always not like, stuff. oh, I write about this for a living. So naturally I'm perfect. So I always like, do it perfectly. <laughs> I always just... No, it's, it's an evolution. <laughs> yeah. And like, sometimes you just know it. Like, and sometimes you get away with one and sometimes you don't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, I think this was a super helpful conversation. Let everybody know where they can find your current, most recent book and maybe all of your archives as well. Where's the best place? Oh, boy. I, you know, I would, would really send people to Feisty Menopause for sure, because that is where I'm doing a lot of my work right now. Um, they can find all of my books. They can find Next Level on Amazon or anywhere you get your book. That's out everywhere. And, you know, you can follow me personally at um, FitChick3 on Instagram. But again, I would really just funnel you at the FeistyMenopause.com because all of my current work is pretty much channeling through there. 
Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Celine. This was so much fun. It is. It's been really, it's been a pleasure to work with you uh, in all these different capacities yeah, right? over the years. <laughs> I know. And we're still overdue for a bike ride too. So that's going to have are. to happen soon. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Business of Fitness podcast. And thanks so much to Celine for coming on to talk about all things book writing and publishing related. I just wanted to pop in here at the end just to give you a couple of my top takeaways from this episode. The first being really understanding why it is you want to write a book and getting a really clear idea of what the book is going to be about, who the book is for, why you're the person to write the book. So even if you are thinking more self-publishing, just trying to get a book out for the sake of having a book to kind of boost your business, give you that aura of expertise that we kind of discussed there, uh, it is still important to do kind of that traditional book proposal, even if you don't plan on submitting it to agents or publishers. Uh, there's definitely still value in just sitting down and taking the time to really think through that more traditional book proposal. So definitely Google just book proposal template if you're not sure exactly how to how to go about doing that. So that's our first step. And then our second thing is really that you don't need a lot of bells and whistles or even a lot of spare time necessarily to get a book written. Uh, you can definitely write within those little pockets of time you have throughout the day as long as you're consistent and you're really focusing on that craft of writing. So Celine and I both are big fans of writing something every day, even if it's even if it's a crappy first draft, just getting those words on paper and making that a consistent practice and keeping it simple. You don't need all of these fancy apps for authors or anything really expensive or, or you know, difficult to use or time consuming to use. Celine does great with just a notebook and a Google Doc. I'm a big fan of using the free version of Evernote. And of course, my trusty regular written notebook. I love a good pen and paper situation. Uh, and that's really what gets us both through most of our writing process. So don't feel like you need to wait till you find the perfect app to get started. Just get on the writing today. And of course, the last thing is just that writing a book, writing the book is really just the first step of being an author. The second part is all about that marketing and media, unfortunately, these days. So uh, if you're an introverted writer, unfortunately, you know, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of luck with getting people you don't know to read your book unless you're willing to get outside yourself and do some marketing work on it uh, on your own. So we'll definitely get into that in maybe a later episode if you have any more questions about the book writing process or even how the marketing aspect of it can work for you after uh, after you've written it. Definitely hit us up. You can find me at Molly J. Herford on Instagram, Twitter, uh, or wherever uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just drop us a little rating, review, question, and we'll definitely get back to you. All right. Enjoy your week. Get to work. <laughs>